Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Ethereum is built by code, but is composed by people, and each individual member of the Ethereum community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it. And Layer Zero is a podcast that focuses on the people behind the code, because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today, I'm talking with Anthony Cezano, and I always joke that Anthony, he would submit his own soul as a PR request to Ethereum if he had the chance. Anthony does five 30-minute YouTube videos a week and five articles a week all about updates and thoughts about the Ethereum ecosystem on his daily Gwei newsletter and YouTube channel. In today's conversation with Anthony, we talk about what he finds meaningful about working for a decentralized protocol. How does he find purpose in working for Ethereum? This leads to a conversation about values and working towards something greater than oneself and ultimately finishes with a broader conversation about why humans form tribes, join organized teams, and rally around symbols. When something like Ethereum promises to be around for countless generations, being a part of the early bootstrapping phase provides Anthony with immense purpose in his life and why he has an unceasing amount of energy to help promote the best of what the space has to offer. While I've only met Anthony in real life once, he is a close friend of mine, and it couldn't be more obvious that he's here in crypto for the right reasons. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the conversation with Anthony Susano. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. 
You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. Anthony, what's up? Hey, David. How you going? Yeah, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Excited <laughs> to do this. Yeah, yeah, this should be fun. I just actually was listening to the one you did with Justin Drake yesterday, uh, the Layer Zero one you did with Justin Drake. That was quite interesting. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Um, it, it, it? It took me a while to get to the actual like Layer Zero part of that conversation because like whenever I've talked to Justin Drake, like we both just want to talk about Ethereum, right? So like yeah. it took me a while to get to like the actual part of his lifestyle. But like once, he, once we did actually get there, it was like the perfect model for exactly what I wanted Layer Zero to be. It's like, oh yeah, Justin Drake is a rebel. Like he doesn't have any like nation state identity. Uh, his kid is like some some sort of like fractal off of Ethereum himself. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I, I mean, I particularly like the part where he kind of spoke about his changing roles within the Ethereum Foundation and kind of like how he focuses more on the layer zero these days. Because I mean, that's been obvious from his work uh, through kind of like the last twelve months with the ultrasound money meme and things like that. But I think the more people at layer zero, the better for Ethereum. Um, we have like a lot, a lot of protocol researchers, a lot of people at layer one and layer two, but layer zero seems to be sometimes neglected by people and they kind of neglect the importance of it and the importance of a really strong social layer for these things. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see um, kind of like his roles change and kind of, he kind of fit into a slot into where he's needed most, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually, uh, there, there's some sort of invisible line in the crypto world. It's yeah groups and cohorts and communities and individuals that have made it through a bear market and those that haven't. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think, I think if you, if you have a crypto system, uh, and you really want to be bullish on it on the long term, like you need to make it through a bear market, right? Like if it, you can't, if you haven't, if you're a crypto system and you haven't made it through a bear market, like you have are actually like not fully tested in your resiliency and your rigidity. Right. And like, like the, the uh, concept goes like, at the end of the day, it's the layer zero that supports all of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is something that I kind of write about and talk about a lot through my work is that, I mean, Vitalik put out an, an excellent blog post around this where he basically, I can't remember the, the, the title of it, but he basically described this and and said, you know, you can have all the fancy tech in the world and, and, and kind of like all the scalability or whatever you want in the world. But if you don't have a strong social layer to resist attack or resist kind of, I guess, um, onslaught from competitors or from like nation states and regulators when we get to that point, then you just either kind of like fade into obscurity or you kind of lose the battle there. So, whereas with, I guess, chains like bitcoin and ethereum we have these extremely strong social layers and we fight back uh you know people fight for these things they fight against the regulators they fight against fud online and yeah i mean that falls into having to go through a bear market together because in 2018 2019 and even parts of 2020 it was a very brutal time for the ethereum ecosystem uh for both from a kind of price perspective of eth which obviously drove a lot of negative sentiment towards ethereum but also from kind of like a use case perspective because in 2017 ethereum's main use case was ico mania and people were kind of like doing all of that kind of participating in ICOs and there was kind of like rumors that ETH2 was going to be delivered end of 2017 which never materialized <laughs> and I think you know we, we, we suffered the fallout of that we, we had like a massive hangover during the, the bear market but we all came together and we and we kept you know beating on against the, a really rough current 
And we got through it in the end, which was, you know, obviously very positive. Ethereum is now where it is today. And, and you know, the ETH price has gone up a lot and think to reflect that and, and things like that. But uh, it, it's not just those kind of things. It's the fact that we now have a very, very strong community who's basically been through the toughest times together and will stick by Ethereum through, you know, thick and thin. It's, it's kind of like Ethereum faces competition from so many different angles these days. But there's a very big reason why, you know, you and I and a lot of other people in the ecosystem stay on the Ethereum track and stay on core. And it's not maximalism. It's literally, this is what we want to see kind of like built. This is what the future we want to see. This is what we want to be a part of. And we've been through all this together. So we understand that, hey, you know, we can get through this. Like this is not a death knell for Ethereum or for anything else. We can get through this. We can, we can keep building. We can keep innovating. And if you don't have that, and like so many other chains don't, and I'm not talking about the current crop. I'm talking about the old crop of, of kind of like other, other blockchains that didn't have this and never built a social layer like this. They've faded into obscurity. No one talks about them anymore and there will be blockchains new chains from kind of like this era that fades in into obscurity once we go into a longer term kind of bear market so i think from that perspective if you take like a long long term view like like you know we both do ethereum is fine i i and ethereum is is, is thriving it's just that short to medium term there's a lot of noise and you have to yeah. kind of like uh, get through that and then on the other end i know ethereum is going to be there i even know bitcoin is going to be there but i don't know what else is going to be there i i can't i couldn't say that about pretty much anything else at this point Right. Yeah. There's the idea that like, you know, profit money and profit is made in bull markets, but like it's values that are made in, in bear markets and like almost by definition, like, I mean, I, I didn't sell a single ether at mm -hmm. in the 2017 peak or the 2018 peak. And I just watched it like go down to zero. And like, to, at the same time, like I was very much in crypto for profit in 2017, 2018. And then like in, of, of course, like I would keep on buying Ether 2018, watch it go down, buy more Ether 2019, watch it go down, buy more Ether, watch it go down. <laughs> uh, and like, but but it was profit motivated, right? Like I knew mm -hmm. the thing was going to resurge, but like there's still like a difference in people who like tap out of the ecosystem and be like, well, this isn't making me any money. Versus, because like the, fundamentally this ecosystem is about money. Like it's, it's about a reinvention of money. And so no one can really say that they're not profit motivated, but like it takes more than just being profit motivated to make it through a bear market, right? Like you also mm -hmm. have to have like long-term convictions in the values as to why you're here in the first place, right? Like say what you mm -hmm. will about Bitcoiners, but like they have like non-profit motivated beliefs that they truly definitely believe, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then always like the profit is, mo the profit motivation is like maybe the energy behind the propagation of those beliefs. But like it's got to start with values and beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously most people come into this ecosystem, if not all, um, but probably not all, but like almost all people come into this ecosystem with kind of like the, the goggles on, hey, I'm going to make a bit of money, especially during a bull market, which is right. fine. Like there's nothing right. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with speculation. It's how crypto um, is advertised. Exactly, exactly. And we wouldn't get like the the, on, the kind of like um, people into this ecosystem that we're seeing right now, the onboarding that we're seeing right now without the profit motivation, which is completely fine. I, um, I mean, I, I, I did the same thing. I came into crypto for money reasons as well. 
while. I mean, when I first bought ETH in 2017, I kind of like bought it after reading like one blog post about it. I didn't like I, I had kind of known about Bitcoin 2013, spent some time there. But I, I remember reading one blog post. I can't remember whose blog post it was, but I read that in early 2017. And then I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. I'm going to buy ETH. And that's it. Like I, I knew not, I didn't know about like um, the, the community. I had no, no involvement in it. I didn't know about the values. I didn't know about why Ethereum was decentralized, whatever. I had, I had no context. I just bought. And then I bought and I kind of learned all about it. And then really through 2017, I was making multiple bets. It wasn't, I wasn't like uh, that involved with Ethereum to the point where I am today, like nowhere near where I am today. I was making bets on other chains. I even thought, I even fell into the meme of, oh, Neo is going to be the Ethereum of China. <laughs> like I fell into that meme. Me too. I Me bought too. Neo. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? And then my conviction on Ethereum and, and kind of like my, my um, evangelism around Ethereum only really came to light during the bear market when I wasn't profit motivated anymore. And it was more about how can I kind of like build up my social capital here? How can I become more involved and see like a brighter future be created? And how do I be at the center of this? So that's going to happen for every every chain i believe mm -hmm. but during a bull market it's kind of hard to separate that that signal from the noise i had someone ask me the other day hey like which chains do you actually think are going to be around which has substance you know which which of these ecosystems are actually going to be long-term kind of sustainable and i can't answer that right now because it's just there's too much noise um i can I, obviously as i said ethereum and bitcoin uh, are obviously um are guaranteed to be around but the other ones i just don't know just yet even even some of the really popular ones that are getting a lot of attention right now mm -hmm. i mean this was the same in 2017 most of them it's the same thing they got attention because the price went up uh they you know and over the bear market they failed to build out an actual ecosystem and they were basically uh, relegated to to the to the history book so mm -hmm. From that perspective, I'm just going to wait and see how it all plays out. I don't know when a long-term bear market's going to hit, if it ever does, considering how much adoption we're seeing and how kind of ingrained crypto is becoming within kind of like normal society, I guess, <laughs> or non-crypto society. Uh, but but I guess when I look at these other things and evaluate them, I always look at the social layer. And if the social layer doesn't kind of like appeal to me or, or kind of like the community doesn't appeal to me, I, I just won't get involved with it. And the tech's just secondary to that. And usually the tech is what dictates the social layer as well end of the day because you'll see within bitcoin because bitcoin is such a limited technology it actually lends itself to a limited viewpoint and that attracts a, a, a limited kind of set of people those being kind of the libertarian digital gold bug type like anti-government type whereas with ethereum you have a much more expressive kind of technology and that lends itself to a much more expressive community uh, and then other chains have their own kind of things that they're trying to do and and attracts different kinds of people so at the end of the day just like you wouldn't hang out with people that don't share your similar interests in real life you're not going to hang out with the people who don't share your similar values and interests on on you know in crypto it's the same kind of concept to me i want to ask a, a question on a similar like line of thought line of reasoning but from a completely different angle so you, you do the, the daily way which is one newsletter every single every single day uh on, do you do it you don't do it on the weekends right uh a newsletter every weekday and a, and a youtube video you know recapping ethereum every weekday yeah yeah every not, we not yeah. weekends right now so you, you, so you take weekends off good for you uh, well, but, every second weekend, because uh, on Saturdays I do an AMA, in, right. uh, two-hour AMA in the Discord channel, um, right. and I wouldn't say I take the weekend off. I would say I take the weekend <laughs> to catch up on emails. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so perfect. That, that's great context. You do a YouTube video, thirty to forty-minute YouTube video every single day. You write a blog post every single day. Every other weekend you do an AMA, and then mm -hmm. you also fill up your time with like all this other Ethereum stuff. And like the impressive thing about like the Daily Gui is is like. Not only the level of cons consistency, I don't think you've missed a single one, but also like your consistent level of energy while doing the, the damn things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so like 
where, dude, like, where the hell does this come from, man? Like, where, where, <laughs> why, why? I, I, the funny thing is I often surprise myself. Uh, yeah. I, I sometimes, you know, catch myself and I'm like, how am I still so involved with this ecosystem? How have I not got bored of it? How have I not burnt out? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do I do this? Like I ask myself the, these questions and really, I only ever really come back to one answer. It's just that I have such a passion for everything that I do for Ethereum, for this ecosystem and, and, and the passion for changing the world, I guess, and, and being a big part of that. That's what keeps me motivated, but it, it, it's also a, a purpose thing. Like it gives my life purpose. And I mean, to get a bit personal here, since this is layer zero, I struggled a very, uh, for a very long time personally, especially through my teenage years and early twenties. Uh, with depression uh, and with a lot of men- different mental issues and stuff like that. And I had paranoia. I had um, uh, uh, I was very stressed, very anxious about a lot of things. I, I kind of um, uh, was just like down in the, uh, in the dirt about a lot of things. And I think now looking back at it, it was because I just didn't feel like I had a purpose. I felt like I was just aimless. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt like I was, I was, I, I, you know, I had a group of friends that were kind of the same. We would just hang out and do nothing, like just talk shit, like at McDonald's and, you know, eat junk food. And that was another part of it as well. My diet was shocking. So that added to it. I was, I was overweight and it just like really overweight. And it, and it was just like really, really bad. I, I kind of put myself into like a super bad headspace that kept compounding over time and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then, um, as I said, like I discovered Bitcoin in 2013, I got pretty, pretty involved in terms of like passionate about it, learning about it and everything, but not, but it was mainly profit driven. Like I was super excited because I was young. I was like, Oh my God, I'm gonna make so much money. And then you wanted to understand what you were invested in. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I rode the wave up from like $100. I bought my first Bitcoin to like $1,000 or whatever the all-time high was back then. Uh, then MT Gox collapsed and so did the price of BTC. And I sold at like $400 or something. So I still made a little bit of a profit, but I had traded away a lot of things because I fell for the scams and the pump and dumps, of course, as you do. Um, but then through through there, I guess like I didn't come back into the ecosystem until Ethereum in early 2017. But between like 2014 and 2017, I was still in that aimless kind of thing where I was doing a bunch of different stuff. I started some companies. Like, it's funny. I started like a a, a clothing company where we did like t-shirts. It was like very, very kind of like weird stuff. I had like a company where we did beard oils and things like that, which I guess makes more sense for wow. me. But I did not. That's uh, a fun fact right there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I and I think for, for, for what I was trying to do back then, I was, I was still trying to look for my purpose, right? And something that I could actually put my energy towards and feel happy about and feel accomplished about that uh, and would actually make me feel happy. And, and they did. There was briefs of uh, brief happiness there, but there was no profits made. I had co-founders that were really kind of like kind of eh to work with. They weren't really pulling their weight and stuff like that. Um, and then I joined like a, uh, so in between this time, uh, the way I was making money is I was a freelance web designer as well. Just doing like, it wasn't anything complex. I was doing like WordPress websites for kind of local businesses and then uh, in 2016, kind of like towards the end of 2016, I, I joined a telecommunications company as a cybersecurity analyst. And this was shift work. Uh, but I didn't mind because I was already pretty uh, pretty shitty with my sleeping pattern anyway. And I'd kind of like stay up to all the hours, whatever. Uh, I was a big gamer through this as well. Played a lot of World of Warcraft, especially in the, in my earlier years. But um and then from from there, uh, that gave me purpose as well. Like I felt really happy. Like I was, I felt like my life had actually turned for the positive. I was making good money, you know, considering kind of like it was an entry level role, uh, and everyone was like super nice. But over time, given it was a, it's a huge corporate kind of company, uh, that kind of weighed down on things. You kind of discover, wow, okay, this is what corporate work is like. It's really, really shit. You, so you're a cog a grind, in the machine. Right. Yeah, it's it's a grind. You're, you're a cog in the machine. There's really the only end game is to become a manager. And 
and kind of like that's it. And and I looking at all the managers there, I didn't want to become a manager <laughs> ever. Like it looked like the worst possible job ever. It doesn't matter how much money there was. It wasn't even that much money compared to what what crypto gives you, right? right. Um, but it wasn't even about the money. It was about the kind of like the purpose and passion. But I think when I discovered Ethereum and I guess like the fast forward through all the years, that's what finally kind of made me feel like I actually belonged somewhere and I could actually create like a, a, a kind of a purpose for myself within Ethereum. And that's why I kind of like have tried so hard and worked so hard through the years to get to where I am today. And what keeps me going is because the thing I'm most scared of, scared of is becoming irrelevant, kind of like falling into the history books and just becoming a footnote in this revolution. I want to be at the forefront of it. I want to continue to be at the forefront of it for as long as it takes until we reach like global adoption where I don't matter anymore because there's so many people that are involved with it. I still want to be that. And I think that is what kind of like drives me the most. So all that previous context, all that build up, and me remembering all of that personally is what keeps me going and keeps me doing this because I really don't want to become irrelevant. I really don't want to become kind of just someone who sits in the corner and, hey, that guy used to be a cool Ethereum dude. Now he doesn't really do anything. He made money and now he's just kind of gone away. It's funny because I actually, I, I made enough money to quit uh, set being uh, working full time at set and kind of sustain myself now. And the thing is, I actually just ended up working more because right. it's never been about the money. Um, besides that, that at the start when it was profit driven, once you have the money, this is what, I think this is what a lot of people don't understand is like, once you have the money, like there's only a marginal increase from getting more money. And if you're right. not materialistic, I know I have a lot of crap around me, but like, I don't, <laughs> it's like, only this, right this... behind the camera. He promises. It's only what yeah, the camera yeah. can see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I buy these things, or whatever. But like, I don't buy, like, I don't have a sports car, like a supercar. I don't have like mm -hmm. fancy clothes or anything. Like, this is like a, a cheap top from like some some kind of like uh, outlet. I don't even know where I bought it from. It's and and stuff like that. So I'm I'm not like super materialistic like that. So I don't think people realize that it's just like a marginal difference once you have the money. And right. from there on, you want purpose. You want a kind of like reason to continue doing what you're doing. And that's always been the case for me. The money was a means to an end to sustain myself to be able to do this work. Um, so I think that all taking all that into context and taking all that as kind of like a holistic thing is what keeps me going and what keeps my passion burning. But again, I still surprise myself because I've been doing this nonstop since 2017. Um, and I've just increased my workload and I still wake up every day, just super charged, super kind of like motivated to, to, to get, you know, to get it, to just get at it and do what I can to keep growing myself and growing Ethereum. Um, so yeah, maybe that's like the, the much needed kind of backstory and context to that question. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm a fan of the parallel universes theory where there's like multiple universes and each one's a little bit different. And so there's some universe out there where like Anthony is actually like a Bitcoiner or <laughs> Anthony is, you know, equally passionate about something unrelated, veganism or something, something else. <laughs> so why Ethereum? Like, why did this Anthony pick Ethereum to be passionate about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question because there's also a parallel universe um, where I was like a fan of another chain, right, or something like 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 EOS or like yeah. Neo or something, yeah. where I still was like in in the in the dirt there. But I think the number one thing for me with Ethereum that keeps me so involved and and why I've stuck with it for so long 
is I mean, there's there's a, there's a few different things, but I think the the number one thing is that it's it's freedom in its most purest form, I believe. And I, I've said this before, and I've written about it being Ethereum is is freedom. And this is because Ethereum to me is the only platform right now in terms of smart contract platform, and I think will continue to be the only one where it is truly truly decentralized. Where there are kind of like I guess um, I wouldn't call them central points of failure, but there are uh, parties within the ecosystem that have more kind of like influence than others. But if we look at the ecosystem holistically and what it is today, it is truly decentralized, which means it, it, it lets anyone build whatever they want on it. Right. Anyone can transact on it. There's uh, there's kind of like no it's, it's censorship resistant uh, and, 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 and it's like expressive. So because uh, of the smart contract language and everything like that and, and capabilities and, and that attracts a certain type of person, a certain type of builder. And they're ideological about it because there's not really any shortcuts being taken. People are trying to do things the right way where they're trying to kind of. I mean, it's funny because the perfect example of this is what happened with the ETH2 beacon chain, for example. This took many, many years of research and development to get to where we are today, but I truly do think that the beacon chain is the best proof of stake implementation that has ever been kind of like conceived. It is absolutely amazing how elegant the design is and how um, open it is as well. I, I know that there's a 32 ETH minimum requirement to, to validating. Um, that is there per the design spec, and that can be lowered in the future, but it, it requires a kind of a few changes there. But in saying that, you can still validate it, um, uh, uh, you know, with these decentralized services that can be built on top. There's also others uh, like Rocket Pool, and there's also other services like um, SSV, which is um, uh, uh, basically being able to kind of like, I guess you could call it delegate your stake but keep your keys which i think mm -hmm. is really elegant as well a really elegant way of doing delegated staking as opposed to delegated proof of stake which is which is kind of like um a bit different there but but essentially uh that is kind of like the the i guess like the culmination of everything i love about ethereum is that we didn't take shortcuts we didn't rush it we we didn't kind of like say hey we have to get this out because the market is like heating up and we need to pump eth like that that's never been a goal of ethereum's core development it's always been we're going to ship it when it's ready and when we're happy with it and we're not going to rush it to market. And that's the same with the Layer 2 ecosystem. That's the same with sharding. It's the same with all of the major upgrades. Like look at 1559. That thing actually is, you know, half designed to be an ETH value accrual mechanism, right? Like it's an ETH pump thing. Like if you want to be accrued with the language, it still took over two years to get it into the network. So from that perspective, um, you know, the, the core development is actually doing it right and doing it, doing it um, slowly and not taking any shortcuts. Whereas a lot of the other kind of like ecosystems, they take shortcuts, especially to scale. They're like, you know, we're going to scale by doing this and then we'll decentralize later. It's like, I, I don't like that. I like decentralization first, um, focus on the virtues of, of um, decentralization, of kind of like freedom, of letting anyone kind of do whatever they want on this platform, of being kind of like, uh, uh, focused on the long-term aspect of this technology rather than the short-term. Uh, and that all leads, lends itself back to, you know, Ethereum being being freedom because anyone can do what they want, but um, no one's taking shortcuts from, from what I see. Uh, some of the apps built on top are, you know, taking shortcuts, whatever. Like some, there's a lot of scams and stuff like that. But if you look at the actual core development of the technology, it's taken so long because we haven't taken those shortcuts and it will continue to take long. And I'm in this for the long-term. So why would I go focus on the short-term kind of, things rather than the long-term stuff yeah. uh kind of like that's a bit of a synopsis around i mean this could this conversation could go on forever and the answer to that question could go on forever but really at the end of the day i just feel like ethereum aligns most with my values of of kind of like freedom making sure that anyone can can kind of like participate in an ecosystem with the strongest guarantees of security and decentralization and censorship censorship resistance rather than and 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 actually i think this is an important point and then i'll stop rambling here i think the important point is that because the Ethereum ecosystem is focused on the long term, 
and focused on resisting kind of like the last boss, which is nation states. That's what everything's being built for. Um, whereas these other ecosystems, I don't see them doing this. They're building for scale now at the at the kind of like sacri by sacrificing decentralization, and that works in most cases. But when your enemy, your final boss, is a nation state who is going to try and take you down because they don't want you doing this, then you need that kind of like level of assurance and level of decentralization and security. And it's really only then that you kind of like test these things in their full capacity. And and to me, that's what I want to kind of work towards. I don't want to because you can imagine like. If I was involved in another ecosystem for five years and they weren't really decentralized, they weren't really secure, but they were scalable and whatever. And then in five years, they kind of like get extreme regulatory pressure. They get basically um, shut down essentially, like for all intents and purposes. Then what was the point? Like that, that previous five years uh, um, meant nothing. Like that, that, the accumulation of all that work meant nothing. Whereas with Ethereum, I can have near certainty, um, it's not always certain, but near certainty and, ver and and a lot of confidence that Ethereum can survive basically anything as a network because of that decentralization, because anyone can run a full node, anyone can validate the network, anyone has a copy of the chain, um, and anyone can validate on, on the network as well. That to me is essentially uh, the, the crux of it is that I'm not building for something that can kind of like go along, go about its life for five years and then die. I'm building for something that can, uh, well, I'm, I'm involved with build and trying to build something that can resist everything and kind of like, I mean, the, one of the design goals of ETH2 was to be World War Three resistant. So even if the whole world goes to shit, we can still have this network kind of running or at least have copies of this network around that we can bootstrap it again once, you know, once, you know, the, the kind of like war is over for lack of a better kind of term there. So that's what I guess like attracts some of the stuff that attracts me to Ethereum so much. Yeah, you, you took the, the transition right out of my mouth. So I'm going to go with that. So Ethereum is World War Three resistant. Uh, mm -hmm. If everything goes according to plan, uh, it will be here until we die, and then beyond, be even beyond that. So, like, what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna do daily Gway like newsletters and YouTube videos until like you can't talk anymore? Like, <laughs> is that the plan? What's the plan? I mean, it's funny because actually this falls into to something else I, f I I forgot to mention. So I had a like plan for myself in tw early 2018, not so much 2017. Once the bear market hit, I was like, cause the reason why I exited Bitcoin in 2014, I guess is because the bear market hit. I was profit motivated. Mm -hmm. Worst mistake of my life. Missed the ETH ICO, missed everything else, you know, missed out on, on kind of like all of that and all that growth of the early days and missed Ethereum until early 2017, which now seems like, uh, you know, an eternity ago. But back then it was kind of like, okay, I need to stick around this time in, in when the bear market hit. It's like, I, I need to stick around. I need to make sure that I can basically um, make an, kind of like uh, uh, make a name for myself. You know, I know what happens, like these things work in cycles. I'll just keep investing and, and I'll be good in a few years. I had no certainty of this. It was just kind of like a bet that I was making. Um, and that was kind of like a plan that I had from early 2018. I'm like, I'm going to, uh, do this for as long as I need to, to get to where I want to be. And then we'll kind of like figure out once I get there, what my next kind of thing is. And I still haven't figured out what my next long-term thing is. Like I'm doing the daily way and stuff, and I'm going to keep doing that for the foreseeable future. Same with like the ETH hub stuff and, and all, that, all that kind of stuff. But um, generally I don't have like another grand vision. Like I don't know kind of like what I want to do into the future. I know what I'm doing now, but um, it's kind of like been a weird thing for me lately where I've been like, okay, I achieved the goals that I set out for myself back in 2018. So where do I go from here? Um, and that was kind of like that, that, that spurred the daily way, but I kind of view the daily way as kind of like more of a, like, I don't know if I call it a hobby, but it's more of a kind of thing where I I'm giving back to the ecosystem through it because it's all free and I don't really monetize it or anything like that. 
And it's kind of like a diary for me as well to kind of like keep track of what's going on in the ecosystem. But but generally, um, I don't have like that long-term goal now. So I would say like for the foreseeable future, I'll be doing the Daily Gway. And I don't I don't plan to stop that. I don't really want to stop doing that at all. Like, uh, as I said, like I, I can't, I'm still very passionate about it and I and I, I don't want to kind of like stop being, and I don't think I'm going to stop being passionate about it for, for the foreseeable future. But there may, may come a day where I'm just kind of like, okay, well, you know, this is, this may not be the best use of my time. Maybe I should focus on something else. And I've been thinking about that as well. I had ideas around, you know, maybe trying to help uh, people kind of like find jobs within crypto starting like a not-for-profit profit kind of like job agency or something like that but even that like I mean it's just kind of like where's the best use of my time right now and I think that I'm doing pretty much everything that I, that, that I consider to be the best use of my time because not only do I do the daily way but I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes as well like I talk to a lot of different uh, teams like I do a lot of angel investing I talk I, I advise a lot of projects I talk to a lot of people all the time so I think it's funny because like I'm both content with what I'm doing now and feel like I'm doing the best that I can be doing, but also I have this nagging voice at the back of my head being like, hey, you could be doing more. Like there could be right. something grander that you could be doing. Um, but I haven't exactly kind of figured out what that is just yet. Yeah, it, one of uh, Eric Connor's metaphors that he's given, uh, I think he put this out on Twitter, is like Ethereum is like this uh, this blob thing, which was a reference to this 1950s horror movie about, it was terrible apparently. Never watched it, but it was this blob that ever, ever expanding, ever ex like invasive, ever growing. Uh, and like, I, sometimes I talk to Ryan at about, uh, just being absolutely drained with like what we do at Bankless and like, it's just like, if you let it, Ethereum will like invade every single point of your life and like, you'll lose, you'll lose touch with your former self and you'll only be your Ethereum self. But like with you, you actually seem to like gain energy with Ethereum, like, you know, <laughs> injecting itself into your into your into your into your brain uh and so like it's it's kind of weird it's it's kind of funny just to notice like everyone else like we're, we all get excited about ethereum everyone gets excited about ethereum but like it just you just don't stop it's just like oh you're like oh, i please please absorb me blob like take take all of me and <laughs> take it all <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the reason why I get more energy as time goes on and as Ethereum gets bigger is because I worked so hard during 18, 19 and 2020 and even to this day to get to where Ethereum is today, to see this mass adoption happening, to see all these things coming to life, to see the Beacon Chain go live, to see Layer 2 rollout happening. And the fact that I've been kind of talking about this stuff for so long and kind of promote it and kind of trying to kind of uh, like usher it along and the fact that it's finally happening just motivates me even more and gives me more energy. It just it just kind of like uh, re, uh, uh, it charges me up every single day when I see these things. And 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 the amazing thing is that I used to think me being kind of like in the time zone that I'm in in Australia was a curse because I slept during kind of like the peak of crypto because the US it wakes up when I sleep and uh, Europe's still awake and everything like that. But then I realized it was a blessing because I get to wake up and I get to catch up on everything that happened overnight, which is an amazing kind of like boost to my day or start to my day where it's like two to three hours of catching up on all the chats, catching up on Twitter, on all the emails and things like that and everything that's happened. And I get to kind of like just experience a whole world all at once, uh, like every single morning. Oh, like, you get like eight hours of chatting, but you get to consume it in like two hours or even less. Yeah, oh, exactly. that's interesting. 
exactly and and that like literally charges me up i like i i it's amazing like i come to my computer and i, I look at everything i'm like okay where do i start like oh my god there's so much stuff to do right now and you know there are certain days where it's crazier than others like when some massive launch has happened DeFi summer was was particularly pretty crazy where i'd wake up and it's like okay yams launched okay wi-fi is launched okay this is launched um you know where's the latest kind of food farm and then i'd message my friends and i'd be like hey you know is this safe do i ape in and stuff like that um but outside of that there's also the tech stuff like arbitrum went live when i went up while i was sleeping and i woke up I'm like yes arbitrum's live let's go try it out let's see what's happening let's see what people are saying about it uh and it's because i've been and, and what makes it even more exciting when things kind of like go live or where, where kind of like updates happen is that i talk about it for so long like we i mean <laughs> we've spoken about 1559 since day one right, like eric right. is a co-author of the aip we spoke about it for mm-hmm. for a very long time not just eric and i but like you and, and the rest of kind of like the the um the eth core people that that everyone probably knows by now but we spoke about this for so so long through different market cycles through different sentiment cycles and to finally see it go, go live i, I don't I don't think people that don't have that context would realize just how amazing of a feeling that was mm-hmm. and how kind of like not just that the beacon chain going live i spoke about eth2 i mean i'd known about eth2 and staking for such a long time and that went live and you know coming up is the merge as well that's going to be huge we have all the layer twos i mean i've been talking about layer two or thinking about it since day one of this ecosystem because people have been talking about it since then um and roll-ups were kind of relatively new but still talking about that seeing them go live and actually work and do what that you know we've been talking about for so long especially as someone who writes about it every bloody day and does videos about it every day to actually see it materialize dude it's like an it's it's a feeling that's just like unmatched really mm-hmm. and i think that is is kind of um you know what gives me that energy and what kind of keeps me going and why my energy actually goes up with the crazier this ecosystem gets is and also because i know if i take a day off i miss everything like i can't, there's no days off in this industry like and that may, may may not sound appealing to a lot of people because they want to take a day off, they want to recharge. But I, I have a pretty good system now where I can take time time off during kind of like my afternoon and my evening because everyone's asleep. This is yeah. the beauty of my time zone as well is that once I'm done, like by 2, 3 p.m., uh, you know, I'll have some lunch, I'll go for a bike ride, I'll spend some time with my fiance, I'll watch some kind of shows, maybe play some games. It's like a cool down period for a little bit. Uh, and then uh, towards the evening, I'll do my, my newsletter. I actually like pick the topic and write my newsletter within an hour at like 10 p.m. And then I'll record the refuel, I do all that, and then at that same time, the US is waking up, so I'll kind of like multitask. I'll do that, and I'll, I'll start, start talking to 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 friends and things like that, and I'll see Twitter get more active, and then I go to bed at like two a.m. or something like that, uh, right in the I guess the peak of the US. But then I'm like, okay, well, I go to bed now, I wake up, and everything's gonna be you know awesome Waiting again. For so you. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and it's funny because like I I had never experienced what it was like to basically live uh, live in the US time zone until uh, what August 2019 when I went to see the set team after i joined set in july of 2019 and it was completely different i didn't like it i hated it Mm -hmm. i woke up and there was nothing like i was sat there and i'm like nothing happened like what the hell like where's all the updates um and and it'd just be boring so i'm actually and this is another reason people ask me like why don't you move to a more favorable time zone or why don't you move somewhere else it's like I don't think that's more favorable than what I have now. Like, I don't think I'd be able to do what I do without the, the the kind of routine that I have now. It's just, it's awesome. Like, really. And I don't know, there's probably some Australians that will listen to you and, and even Asia as well, similar time zone that will probably um, know, know what I'm talking about. 
But for anyone who has never experienced kind of like the, yeah, the, the time zone thing, yeah, you, you just don't know how awesome it is to wake up to just like a flood of information and, and get to absorb it. Because I mean, for, for personally, this is how I learn as well. I overload my brain with things um, like to the point where uh, I need to basically keep just like reading stuff over and over again and overloading my brain with the same information to get to a point. I, I'm not a structured learner. I can't just sit there and read something and be like, okay, I'm going to study this and that, that I'm going to absorb it. It's kind of like, yes, give me all the information right. and my brain will make sense of it as time goes on. I don't care. Uh, it's just crazy. I mean, I have six monitors in front of me and I have information everywhere <laughs> because I just, I just want all of it fed to me at all times. And maybe that doesn't work for a lot of people, but it works mm. for me. And that's, I think, a big reason why, yeah, the energy can kind of like uh, uh, keep going up as this ecosystem gets crazier. So w one thing I've noticed about you uh, and like you, you talked about like before you got into Ethereum and, and in, your, in your formative years, like you had like, you know, me mental health issues like depression, anxiety mm -hmm. uh, and like, you know, uh, issues like that tend to bring along further issues. Right. Uh, there's like they come in, they come in groups. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, I also know that you listen to extremely uh, in my, in my, my I mean, these are my words, but like violent, like death metal, maybe. Is that the right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the right genre. <laughs> right. And so like you, you sent me a song and it's just like this guy is like screaming at you and he's like screaming his guitar at you. And then you, <laughs> you like you said, you you have like six monitors in monitors in front in front of you. Uh, and like you do the Daily Gway every single day. And then like when you talk about Ethereum, like you can feel the excitement and feel like and you you want I can watch your brain try and go in like four different directions at, at <laughs> once. And you somehow manage to like hit every single one of them. So like I think there, I think you have like a, a pretty decent harness on like a, a pretty good like manic side of you. And you've been mm -hmm. able to like, like corral that and like inject that energy into like. Well, okay, I've got I've got the like this like you know mo moderately not too crazy manic side of me, and I'm just gonna be manic about Ethereum. Like <laughs> to me, that's kind of like <laughs> your branding. It's like Anthony Cesano, manic about Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's actually a perfect way to put it. And you you know it, it's funny you've you've actually hit the nail on the head. That's exactly kind of just what I'm like. I just. I maybe a lot of people aren't like this where they need to be calm or need to kind of like have a cool down period. I'm just like, go, go, go all the time. I need to overload my brain with as much kind of mm -hmm. stimuli as possible to, to be at my best. And, and that's because my brain's I mean, always just look behind it. you. <laughs> look how many yeah, yeah. colors there are. There are so many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, that, that definitely stems from that. It's just like a constant need to have stuff around me, have things going mm -hmm. on. I can't sit still for very long, uh, even when I'm watching kind of like TV shows on my PC or something like that, because I, I really do love a good story and I love TV shows and love watching stuff. But um, g generally, I just have other stuff going on as well. Like I can't really focus. And maybe that's a that's a little bit of a curse is that I can't like focus, focus. But, um, you know, I, I still think for me, like, and this is exactly actually why it's another issue is that I, I have struggled kind of like relating to people talking to people when it's not talking about something that i want to talk about mm -hmm. like at conferences is amazing because i get to talk about crypto yeah. the whole time but if i go out with like some old friends and we just talk about stuff within like an hour i am done man like i am exhausted like i'm actually right. tired from that conversation because it hasn't stimulated me you got it hasn't drained. actually <laughs> you yeah you got tired for the first time in your in your week <laughs> yeah exactly i just I, I feel tired i feel like just bored i'm just like wow okay this is just like such a waste of time and my brain's just shutting off and mm -hmm. it's just it's really amazing how quickly it happens so uh, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I have like this kind of manic stuff where my brain goes in all these different directions all the time. And I try to piece it together in my brain. Like, 
it's uh, commonly on the refuel because it's it's not scripted. It's just like a stream of consciousness. I will commonly have to correct, uh, stop myself and be like, okay, wait, wait. I need to give this context first before I jump to this because my brain has already gone mm. to the point where right. I want to be, but I need mm. to kind of slow it down. And that's kind of become faster than the mouth. Exactly. And that's kind of become like an acquired skill that I had to, to kind of like teach myself because I realized that when I talked to, to a lot of people, I skipped a lot of con much needed context. Uh, and that was definitely some, uh, like a hard part for me to kind of like come to terms with. But I think it's, yeah, it's definitely needed. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just funny how it happened because I don't think I've always been like this. I think it kind of just happened naturally as I looked for more of a kind of like purpose in life and, and and kind of like more of a passion it's just that i i become obsessive with things and i kind of engross myself in them and if they don't catch my attention then i just like i'm not interested at all and i think this is why right now like a lot of people kind of tell me stuff and they're kind of like hey you can kind of like do this you could yield farm here you can you can make money here and at this point in time, I'm just not interested in making more money. Like I, you know, I got to the point where I don't need to, to kind of like make more money. I can sustain myself. Um, yeah. Okay. More money's, you know, always fun and whatever, but I, I don't, that's not the stuff that kind of motivates me anymore. It's not the stuff that makes me passionate anymore. I need the, the stimuli that actually kind of like wakes my brain up and makes me want to focus on things. Um, so I kind of like tune that stuff out. And, and for a lot of new people, I don't blame them for wanting to do that. Yield, you know, yield farm, make money. Like that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more to life than money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, everyone gets into this industry or, or even just like gets into their life with like their focus on money, right? Like go through college, graduate college. Maybe, maybe they don't go to college, whatever. But like you start off life like focusing on money. And, and like you said at the beginning, like once you have a, a, some threshold of money, like may, having that translate into actual happiness gets harder and harder and harder, right? Like I got myself a, a, an apartment that makes me happy and like I got I got a, a fun car that and after that it's like well I guess I could get a, a like the next thing to like add to my life could be like a boat I guess but that was so much more money and mm -hmm. it's not that great like mm -hmm. I, I worked on docks when I was when I was young uh my, my it was my summer uh summer job in college maintaining a boat is, is like a huge pain you so you don't mm -hmm. want a boat you don't want a boat at all like no that's that like maybe it's cool but like the value the how hard you had to work for it because like you know boats are orders of magnitude more uh and like insert any noun here right they're just more orders of magnitude like more expensive than like the typical things like an apartment and a car um and then like what you get out of it is actually it is actually not that much and so like you actually have to like reorient your attention if you because like the whole point of life is to like feel good right? Like mm -hmm. feel good. And however, however that is done, whether you like are hedonistic and you like drugs or you're altruistic and you like helping people, the whole point of life is, is to feel good. Uh, and like money only goes so far with that, right? Like it, it, diminishing returns hit real, real soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, this, it, this kind of probably perfect segue into, into, I'm uh, not segue, but like a perfect kind of thing to, to kind of bring up. Like, Who's the interviewer guess, here? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, what you were talking about got me thinking back mm -hmm. to like, I guess my grand thesis on just life in general. And mm -hmm. it's that I believe that we're all born with like a massive hole in ourselves. And we try to fill that hole with things, right? Different people try to fill it with different things that make them happy, as you as you said. Some people will fill it with religion. Some people will fill it with money. Some people will fill it with materialistic possessions. Some people will fill it with, fill it with family and friends, whatever. But there's filling the hole for the short term and then there's filling the hole for the long term. So you can put short term stuff in there and that may give you some kind of like very short term happiness and, and whatever. Like 
I'll, I'll be honest, some of the stuff that I buy, I buy and I'm just like, okay, well, that gave me some happiness, but like, that's not going to sustain me. Like, I can't right. stare at the stuff that I buy and be like, yes, I'm content with life now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and, and for me, I fill that hole with, with Ethereum, with, with crypto, with my work that I do. Um, but other people fill it with, with other sorts of things. And I think that too many people fill it with short-term stuff and expect that to keep them going because, it, it, you know, the funny thing is with the short-term stuff is you can keep compounding that. But the thing is, is you have diminishing returns. You can buy something, short-term happiness. Okay, well, now i got to buy another thing to get that happiness again. But each time you do it, you have diminishing returns. And that's why I think a lot of people fall into a place where they're depressed. They're sad. They're not even content with life. They're just like aimlessly going through it with no purpose or goal. You know, some people turn to alcohol and drugs as well and, and get like really bad vices and addictions and it's and once you once you fall into that it's very hard to get yourself out of it like it took me a long time to get myself out of it Mm -hmm. to get to lose the weight that I had put on, which is a big factor in it as well. Diet plays a massive factor in this. Um, but to get my headspace right, it took a very long time. And I kept trying to fill it with short-term things. I kept trying to buy new stuff and, and do do things and become obsessive with the wrong things. And it never led to any long-term happiness. It always led to short-term kind of uh, stuff that, you know, while good, while I was experiencing it, I paid the price later for that. Like I paid the price of, of um, you know, just destroying my diet in the fact that I just had really bad mental issues. I looked bad. Trying on clothes was always like really depressing whenever I went shopping, having to go to like the double XL section and just like super, super depressing. Um, so you, th there's nothing for free, really. I mean, you, you, you kind of like pay the price for your decisions and you pay the consequences for them. So make better decisions um, and fill, your, fill that hole with, and with better long-term stuff that you actually enjoy doing and you can sustain yourself sustaining over the long-term and you'll be fine. Um, but on the flip side of that, unfortunately, I think a lot of people just don't have that. Like they just don't have the ability to basically fill that hole with something that's long-term because they uh, either just don't want to put in the work to do it or they're probably not fundamentally wired that way. And it's, it's quite sad because I know a lot of people who are fundamentally not wired in a way where they can actually be passionate about something or at least as passionate about as I, as I am with Ethereum. Um, and... I just think that if you're not like that, then you have to look at, look for other ways to kind of like give yourself long-term happiness. And there's no wrong or right way. It's just the consequences of that. Like are the consequences good for you or are they bad for you? Does, does it lead to more happiness or does it lead to, to, you know, less happiness? And I think a lot of people fill this hole with, with having a family, which is totally fine. But like, is that, go is that what you actually wanted? Like, is that actually going to lead to long-term, and I'm talking like decades long happiness, or are you just going to breeze through life and eventually get to your death? bed and look back on your life and be like wow like i didn't really do much and you know that's that's and like i'm not happy with the way my life went that is actually something that's very scary to me i don't want to get to the point where i'm lying there and it's like my final kind of like days and i kind of look back on my whole life and be like wow i did what, do, what did i like, do yeah, yeah what did i do like i'm so and, and just you know i'm just so depressed so sad and and not just for me but for like everyone around me they just you know everyone that i care about everyone that cares about me they kind of look at it and it's like what did he do did he just waste his life away and and whatever um and i i think you know there's 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 some people there's a lot of people that aren't like that they're, they're just trying to kind of like and i think it's like a privileged position to you know for, the funny thing is for a lot of um humans humanity's history it was not about like this kind of like filling your hole with like these grand goals. It was more like 
fill that hole with food and water and surviving because you are a farmer and and your, your village is going to get attacked if you not if you don't defend it and stuff like that um and that's true for a lot of the world still today like i'm talking from a privileged first world position but i also think that the fact that we've kind of like had all that stuff taken care of for us now a lot of people struggle with that transition because we don't have to worry about surviving in the first world a lot of us, we don't have to worry about where our food is coming from. We, we, you know, we, we're, we're content with a lot of this stuff. We're, we're fed all this stimuli. We're fed all this kind of, um, all this stuff and all this, we're kind of like babied through, through life a lot of the time. If you're a first world, if you're middle class, you're babied through life a lot of the time, honestly, compared to someone in a third world country. So from that, shout you out get stimulus press. checks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, if, and from that point of view and for that perspective, People just kind of like get going to, I think this is why depression and, and mental kind of like issues are on the rise is because people just don't know what to do once everything is already right. done for them. Like right. they, they're like, where do I go from here? Like, what is my life? Right. And you really it's have like to- It's like the little like, robot from Rick and Morty who asks what his yeah. purpose is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. You have to find your, your, you know, your own purpose in life. And I think for a lot of people, that is a scary prospect. They don't want to do that. They want to be told what their purpose is or they want to be able to kind of like know from, I guess, like um, the get go, what their purpose is. And back in, you know, before modern society, we knew survive. That was the purpose for most of humanity's kind of existence, survive. Now that's being taken out and our, our primitive brains haven't actually evolved past that. We now still have that inertly within us. Like the the goal of humans is to survive and procreate, right? To keep our species going. And that's all taken care of, of us. And even, even kind of like procreating is taking care of us. Like uh, there's no need to worry about the baby. You go to a doctor, they tell you what's what, they tell you when you're due, they tell you what's complicated about things. They tell you, you know, if, if it's dangerous, if you're going to um, give birth, you might die in childbirth. All that's taken care of. There's no, there's no risk anymore. Like there's no kind of like, there's nothing for our brains to latch onto in terms of like fight or flight anymore. It's kind of like, you know, we're just cruising, cruising along through life. Everything's taken care of, whatever. And yes, we have our little battles here and there, but it's nothing compared to what it was back in the day. Um, so that's why it leads to, I think, increased depression, increased mental issues is because a lot of people just don't know how to deal with that. All right, guys, in the second half of the show, this is actually where things get, in my opinion, really, really interesting. Uh, I bring up the, the concept of uh, Ernest Becker's denial of death theory. Uh, which I'll explain in the show, but it's basically a, a theory as to why people work and jo join teams, work in governments, uh, work for things that are larger than themselves. Uh, and it's an attempt to become immortal, right? We all know that we're going to die, um, but when we find things that we can create uh, permanence in, object permanence, that are things that are going to live on beyond us, we can actually find meaning in working for those things. And the subconscious fear of death is what motivates people in uh, getting to that point. So I, I think it's a fascinating conversation that we, uh, Anthony and I had. Uh, but first, before we get there, we have to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. One of my favorite Aave features is the ability to select a stable interest rate. 
Once I've selected a stable interest rate, I'm protected against any interest rate volatility that may happen in DeFi and allows me to plan my DeFi finances for the long term. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fees based on market conditions, or even, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus other platforms. And you can even take advantage of dynamic fees, which automatically adapt to changing market conditions. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. Have you heard of uh, Ernest Becker? He's a no, I haven't. <laughs> philosopher, cultural anthropologist. He wrote this book called The Denial of Death. And uh, he, he talked about like, you, you talked about like people fill it, ha, are born with a void in their life and their mission in life is to fill it. And like, it really depends on how you fill it. Um, mm -hmm. And that'll dictate how your life is. Uh, the Denial of Death is, is like this theory of like, um, it, it, it's... It's a very it's a very wide ranging theory, but like it talks a lot about tribalism and all and meaning and and ascribing symbols to th to things. And he, and he talks about like organized religions or like public service towards like governments or sports teams or any sort of like entity, right? Like so the like the average sports team. Pick your favorite sport: in baseball, soccer, football, whatever. Like the team itself is beyond the person, right? Like, it's an organization that, like, it, it existed before you were born, it'll exist after you die. Same with your religion, same with your country, same with your, like, insert your tribe here, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the, the theory is that, like, humans have this insatiable desire to build symbols that will outlast their own death in order to seek mortality, right? Because we all have this fear of death, we all have this fear of death. It's embedded in our like our subconsciousness. And when you wake up in the morning, you can't think of like, oh, I really don't want to die. Therefore, I will go do this. Right? Like that's mm -hmm. just too paralyzing. But like still, still you are motivated. Motivated is the theory. Still you are motivated by that conscious, subconscious desire of of denying death. But you also know that you're going to die. So what do the, what then do you do with your life? And so the people, according to this theory, find long-term sustainable symbols to be a part of right mm -hmm. and like to me this answers so many questions as to why like crypto is so tribal like the, the whole cryptocurrency revolution is about 
building systems that can last way longer than we can even imagine, right? Like not, mm -hmm. not centuries, but like multiple, multiple centuries. Fuck, maybe even a thousand years, right? Mm -hmm. And so like mm -hmm. when you consider that we are on like the bootstrapping phases of, of systems that might be literally a thousand years old, like no shit, like you wake up every single day and you look at Ethereum and you're like, I need to consume everything, right? Like we're all trying to deny death by building and being a part of this symbol that can last for forever, right? The whole point about Ethereum is it will outlast nation states. The whole point about these things is that they are going to be the longest lasting systems that humans have ever, have ever generated, right? Like including religion. Um, mm -hmm. or at least, you know, religion morphs and change shape so that the symbols change, but you know, the point still stands. Right. And so like, there is immense amount of opportunity to like latch on to like this symbol that can last like far, like m more generations than we can count. Uh, and so mm -hmm. like that, I think that's why there's always like this such there, th why crypto so tribal, why there's so much like bottom up community engagement, why some of the deepest core Ethereum, like developers, like the people on the Geth team are so like, they, they kind of feel like the, some of the deepest, like, you know, Ethereum, like religious, like deep, like religious people, right? In the sense that like, they don't care about profit. They don't care about social media clout. They just want to build the damn system, right? They just want to build because they know that the thing that they are building can help them deny death because they, they built it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I never heard that kind of like theory before or that kind of like the way you've put it. That's actually super interesting because I think it comes back to permanence as well, right? Like, these systems are permanent systems, like uh, especially the, the the ones with decentralization guarantees, where you can be uh, or at least have relative confidence that in a hundred years this is going to be around and this is going to have a permanent record of everything that's ever happened on the chain. And uh, you know, if it comes to like crypto, your account balance is going to be correct in a hundred years or whatever, or like whoever you you pass down your crypto to, they're going to be able to have that in a hundred years, and no one has been able to take that away from you. No one has been able to alter it. No one has been able to change history. Could you imagine if we had like a, a permanent record uh, throughout the last thousand years of, of history, instead of etching it into like right. stones and, and right. things like that, we put it on this system? And yes, okay, like history can be rewritten or like the history is written by the victors, and right. yeah, exactly, it's different interpretations. But at least we have that on there and it's a permanent system through time where we can look back on it dig the data out and kind of like do this i guess chain archaeology as some people have called it before which i think is really cool and have uh relative certainty that this is the truth right this is actually what happened here it didn't get altered by any central party to to, to say something else or to reflect something else and and that is really the, the crux of it i think is that that permanence and um, to your point about like us subconsciously fearing death and wanting to create like permanent systems so that even when we are gone, everything that we did while we were alive, uh, or at least a lot of the stuff that we did while we were alive is still there. Like all the stuff that I've done on Ethereum in a thousand years potentially could still be there, right? All my right. transactions, everything. Right. I'm long gone. I, you know, I'm not there anymore. Uh, but my, my history is like the history of who I was, doesn't matter how small of a person I am in terms of like how well known I am or not. Um, I'm there. I'm etched into kind of this, this thing as a permanence thing. And this, I mean, you go through history, look at the people that, that are like the pharaohs that built like the pyramids or they built like um, massive statues to themselves that they did that because they're like, well, what's the, what's the way that I can make myself kind of like immortal through exactly. a symbol uh, right. to your point. Mm -hmm. And we make ourselves immortal by tying ourselves to a network that we believe can run forever. Uh, and whether it does or doesn't is another thing, but I think that's what really attracts me personally 
to the, the, the systems that are actually truly decentralized is that I know that I, well, at least I can have relative certainty uh, that this thing's going to be around in 100, 200, 300 years. Whereas a lot of these other things, I don't know that. And I don't know if someone's messing with it or changing it or, or doing something, exerting central control over it. And I think that's actually the extreme point for Bitcoiners. And that's why they are really, really adverse to any sort of change on the base layer is because they don't want that, that, they don't want kind of anyone being able to, to change change anything. They're happy with the way it is. They're happy with that permanence. And, and that's fine. But I think I have a bit of a looser kind of, I guess, like approach to it where I think that you don't, that, that Bitcoin ossified way too early on in its life. Like these networks are 10 years old. They're not like, I mean, Ethereum's not 10 years old, but Bitcoin's like what, 12, 11 years old. Um, they're not a hundred years old yet. So ossifying now is probably detrimental to kind of like what you want to build. That's why I'm so interested in Ethereum still and kind of excited about Ethereum's kind of like changing, but at the same time, they're changing for like the tech upgrades and they're not changing history. They're not trying to rewrite anything and technically it could happen, but it hasn't happened. And obviously there's the DAO hack and stuff like that, but that was even earlier on in the life. Like it was like a year into Ethereum's life. I think we're building systems to last hundreds of years. Let's not ossify them too soon, but let's make sure that we understand that they will eventually ossify at the base layer and that will be like a permanent record of, of people. And yeah, I mean, that's a really good way of putting it. I never, I never thought about it like that. And now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's also uh, a convenient model to frame like why security on Ethereum is so important. And not only security in, the, in terms of like, you know, uh, the speci specifications as to like node requirements, but also with monetary policy, right? Like mm -hmm. Bitcoin isn't secure because it actually has kind of a broken monetary policy. As, as good as the Bitcoiners will tell you their monetary policy is, it's also broken in terms mm -hmm. of long-term long sustainability on, on the blockchain, right? And like the reason why like Ethereans have been always criticizing things like Binance Smart Chain is that like, cool, you just increase centralization, you increase state bloat, like you reduce sustainability. And so like, there's actually a very, like there, there's that one equation about like the sweet spot where a planet can be away from a sun, but basically like there's a, there's a sweet spot about crypto systems that make these, th these things long-term permanent, right? Mm -hmm. And if the point and the, uh, also you, you talked about the pyramids, uh, Ernest Becker, like one of the, the, the greatest example the, the first examples he uses is like the pyramid. So good job for tapping into that. But like, if we want the, if, like these crypto systems, to be permanent, like there's no, there's a pretty narrow band of design choices that like it, Ethereum needs to be inside of that or like insert your crypto system here. It's got to be inside the band or else it succumbs to lack of sustainability in monetary policy or lack of uh, sustainability in, in just like the, the network uh, size, right? And so mm -hmm. like the, this is why Vitalik always talks about like this Goldilocks zone of like design choices. And what he's really talking about is like how do we make this thing exist forever? Right? How do we? How do we? How do we deny death of the of the yeah. Ethereum system? Yeah, and, and and it's funny because like when you point out these issues with with Bitcoin sustainability, people say, "Oh, we don't have to worry about that for ten or twenty years." It's like, okay, but you're trying to build a system that's going to last centuries, right. and you're saying that we don't have to worry about it for ten or twenty years. But we'll be forty. Like that's not that old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 you're also building a culture of not changing anything right. through that time. Like you're building like twenty, thirty years worth of culture around no changes happening at the right. base layer. I don't know. I don't see that being sustainable. I think it's going to be very hard for them to to change anything at that point in time because they've only got a few things they can do. They change the proof of stake or they do a hybrid proof of stake right. or they 
or they remove the monetary policy, which probably goes hand in hand with that as well. Um, and they have to kind of like uh, issue more coins or they can they can take coins from old wallets that haven't moved, but that's like goes against the very ethos of Bitcoin in general. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that falls exactly into kind of why I like Ethereum as well. It's like, it's 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 more sustainable in my eyes than, than even Bitcoin. I I actually have more confidence that Ethereum in its in its kind of like uh, current current kind of like form is going to be around in like 20 years uh, or at least kind of like secure in 20 years than I do with Bitcoin unless Bitcoin was was to change. Um, and I know that like Ethereum is not there just yet. We have to go through the merge. And then once the merge is done, really that is the most sustainable thing because we have like the proof of stake uh, security and we have the burn uh, to kind of like offset that that issue that perpetual issuance and you know we've been through this a million times but that's kind of like why uh, I guess like I'm most interested in Ethereum's kind of like sustainability rather than Bitcoin's, even though people will say, well, you know, I'm more confident in Bitcoin. It's like, eh, like I think there's a, an argument to be had there. Uh, but it goes back to like the permanent stuff and kind of like creating systems that outlive us by far. But, you know, on that note as well, though, I've noticed a very, um, very funny overlap between people in crypto, in Ethereum specifically, and longevity research and yes. reverse aging, <laughs> right? <laughs> like there is a very, very like uh -huh. clear overlap. And Vitalik has actually funded this research. Right. He's, I think he's donated $10 million to the Sands Institute, probably done other donations. Um, and he's written about, uh, not written about this, but he's got a blog post. I don't know if it's still there, but in his Twitter bio, he had a blog post for a while about like a dragon tyrant. And essentially right. it was a metaphor for, hey, why do we just accept death as a reality? Why not? fix death or cure death why not treat death like any other disease that we cure um and he i mean that that post had a point it's like okay well let's do it and that and that's why a lot of research is going into this now where it's like can we live forever not immortal as in nothing can kill us but can we actually be biologically immortal right. where we can reverse aging we can stay at like you know a certain age and we can basically uh extend our lifespans out indefinitely um and I think we can. I actually think it's possible. I don't think uh, it's it's um, something that we can't do because we've cured so many other diseases. And really, aging is a disease. When you look at the cellular level, it's just our cells breaking down over time. You don't, you don't die of old age. You die of a yeah. disease that you got when you were old. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's because like our um, our bodies are just like not they can't fight that anymore, right? They can't they can't function as they used to. So whether that's making our organic bodies, um, to getting it to the point where we can reverse aging for long enough until we just basically transfer our consciousness into like a machine that can obviously live forever. You can just keep changing the parts of the machine. You can keep changing the parts of a human body, but eventually it gives out. There's diminishing returns to that. You can't just keep replacing every part. Whereas with the machine, you can. Um, and, and, you know, as long as you have the human consciousness in it, you can keep changing parts, but it's also the same thing of reverse aging. Can we basically keep, um, you know, pushing back the date of our, of our death to effectively like being immortal? Um, and there's philosophical questions about that. It's like, is that actually desirable? Can society survive with a population that, um, sorry, with a, with a, um, kind of like turn with no turnover, because right. at the moment, the way society progresses is that usually the older people are more kind of like conservative. They hate change. They're the ones that are kind of like at the ruling class, but they die off. And then you have like a new ruling class come in and that's how society progresses um, mm -hmm. through time. And that's how we all kind of like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically the wheel, but can that continue with uh, uh, effectively kind of like biologically immortal kind of population and, you know, what does society look like in that world? So, but yeah, that, 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 that overlap between Ethereans and longevity research right. is not, I mean, that, that is definitely be just because we, we, we're obsessed with permanent systems. We're obsessed with the long term. Mm. We're obsessed with the very long term. Like long term being 10 years is normally what you're talking about. I'm talking centuries. Like we're obsessed with this sort of stuff. And, and that's what uh, a 
lot of people that I talk to are thinking about. They're not thinking about any of the day-to-day stuff, right. um, even though it's it's tempting to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, do, I do know that Vitalik does actually take um, like some of these uh, supplements, I guess you would call them, that longevity mm-hmm. researchers have like kind of given the unofficial like green check mark on. Mm-hmm. And so like he he not only is he a believer mm-hmm. and funder in this thing, but like he's actually taking like meaningful steps of his own like you know well being to to attempt to get to living forever, right? And it's it's when the I was I can't remember when I was talking to him about this, but he talked about like well you know if these things that I'm doing now kick out my life by like twenty to thirty years, well then that just gives me twenty to thirty years of more room for like more meaningful innovations to come out. Uh, and so, like, maybe I'll go from, like, 80, die at 80 to die at, like, 110. But, like, mm-hmm. between now and then, we'll think of even more things. And then that will buy me more time to, for people to think of even more things, which will buy me even more time. And then it's, eventually, it's just some process of, like, kicking the can down the road. And you just, ultimately, you just kick, kick the can down the road forever and find mm-hmm. ways to, like, never actually have to, like, leave the can behind, right? You just keep on kicking the can. And so there's some there's some sort of joke or juxtaposition here about like Vitalik, the guy that designed the everlasting economic system, and then also like to, figured out a way to live forever, so he can just ride this economic system into like the sunset, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. which would be a phenomenal story. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and 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 the beautiful thing of that is that Vitalik doesn't have control over the system that he made, right? right. Like he can live for like for for centuries, and so can this system, but he doesn't have any control over it. He can't exert central control um which is which is actually amazing i love that the fact that imagine both these systems ethereum not system but imagine ethereum and vitalik live to be a thousand years old everyone knows that vitalik will have created it right he's he's etched into that forever um but like he has no control over it so it's just kind of like this thing that he set out into the world that he can't even i mean he at that point he probably doesn't even have any influence over it he's probably working on something else who i mean i mean his social cloud would be absolutely insane but other than that yeah yeah but yeah but other than that um you know the the system itself would be if if it works as as kind of like we want it to work will be still fully decentralized and secure and stuff like that so yeah it's kind of funny when you think about that i mean these are definitely like very deep philosophical things and stuff that may not be answered for for like 50 years to come we don't know what the world's going to look like but i mean yeah i think people are doing different things to kind of like extend their life already i know that you fast and that's been kind of like there's a lot of research done into that that shows that it could extend your your life potentially um and it's cool it's a wash with the beer that i drink so call even yeah 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 <laughs> but that's the thing like i'm I, I like personally i try to take a little bit more care of my my health uh trying mm-hmm. to kind of like lose extra weight as i if i put it on or try to exercise more it's kind of been hard with covid and the lockdowns and things like that but generally um you know living a healthy life is not a bad thing like that's mm-hmm. even if it doesn't extend your lifespan even if you get hit by a bus tomorrow who cares like living a healthy life um, means that you just feel better overall anyway um which i think should be the goal for for, for everyone but um uh, generally, if you're trying to extend your life out, yeah, there's a lot of experimental stuff you can do. As you said, like there's some supplements and stuff. There is, there's fasting. There's a lot of experimental stuff you can do. But if you do it now, you need to kind of be content with the risks of doing it, being right. that, you know, you may kill yourself in the process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have uh, jumped the gun too soon on some of the things. Like, oh, it turns out that wasn't the right one. Not the right experiment. Yeah, yeah it turns out that gave me cancer. It turns <laughs> out that made my heart give out, right? Yeah. There's Steve, all those sorts Steve of- Jobs ate, ate a fruit-only diet and turns out he gave himself cancer for that on the quest of like living if uh, cure, uh curing immortality 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's going to be like a lot of that happening. So, and then eventually, you know, maybe in a hundred years we, we solve this and everyone born then gets to experience the joys of everyone else's sacrifices through, mm-hmm. through time, which is exactly what we get to enjoy right now. The right. millions of people that came before us that sacrificed their lives, whether that be in wars mm-hmm. or in clinical experiments or dying from diseases that we eventually cured and viruses and stuff like that. Um, we all just kind of like uh, survive based on previous generations. And I think it's a scary thought at, because, you, you know, you, we could be the generation that has to be the one that suffers the most pain for people to get to this enlightened live forever stage. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of like cool because we get to be part of it. We get to be like etched into history. And it goes back to, I guess, your, your kind of discussion, what you were saying about like having these monuments, having these things exist that live longer than us to kind of remember us, I guess. Totally. Well, Anthony, for a conversation that started with like, how, how the hell do you have so much energy to put into the daily way? Like, well, I think we actually might've found our answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, this, the fun thing about these, I think these layer zeros that you're doing is that it doesn't have to be just about crypto. It can be about anything and the conversation can go anywhere, which I, which I always really like. Cause I mean, people who follow me and probably listen to all the stuff that I probably only know, know me for Ethereum and crypto stuff, but mm-hmm. I definitely do a lot of other stuff outside of that and, and read a lot of other things and try to keep up with a lot of other stuff. But the overlap between, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's not just like longevity research, but anything on the bleeding edge. Like, I'm definitely interested in like space stuff that's happening there and, and kind of like trying to loosely keep up with it and space travel. I'm definitely interested in in just like all kinds of um, new advances in med- medicine. And I actually thought it was really cool how fast we got like a vaccine for COVID, like the fastest ever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just super interested in that. But like, it's kind of hard to keep up with everything. Don't say so we, like brother. I- You're in Australia. <laughs> No, oh god yeah. <laughs> uh, hey no i think i think an australian came up with the astrazeneca vaccine or at least one of the people that that came up with it so oh, really? um oh, good for you yeah I, I think i think so yeah yeah so that's cool but um yeah i just generally like i try to keep like a cursory kind of view of everything happening mm-hmm. but there's just too much happening man like trying to keep up with the theorem alone is is yeah. like a more than a full-time job now so yeah <laughs> Um, all right man well I, I definitely appreciate your time and coming and chatting on on me uh, with me on layer zero Mm-hmm. yeah thanks for having me man uh, i'm sure people will hear my voice on the live streams that we do or any yeah. further like bankless stuff that we do uh probably in a few months when we do another kind of like bull case for eth mm-hmm. <laughs> like we always mm-hmm. do right mm-hmm. maybe eth is at 10k who knows but we'll have this, we, yeah. we already got two of them scheduled one for a couple months and then one for six months right so they're already on the menu <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly maybe eric will join us again um, oh, for the wow. next one like we, he missed the last one but yeah <laughs> I'm, yeah he's more i'm sure he was eating the popcorn while he was watching it yeah 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 but i think he's more bullish these days Days, so maybe but anyway yeah, yeah thanks only for on me, jpegs <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh man cool all right well i'm getting a little bit loopy because it's coming into my, my bedtime so uh, anthony great great having you on uh, layer zero sir you're yeah, a, you are a testament me, to ethereum and thank you for everything that you do thank you